Welcome to China Tech Talk, the almost weekly discussion of technology and startups here in China. I am John Artman, joined as always by Matthew Brennan, founder of China Channel. So this week we uh, welcome Shai Oster uh, back on to the show.、Uh, previously, we had him on to talk about、uh, Xiaomi's、um, upcoming, and of course now、uh, already finished、um, IPO.、Uh, and so we brought him on to talk about、uh, IPOs again.、Um, Shai has proven to be、uh, extremely knowledgeable.、Uh, About、uh, these these types of topics, and、uh, obviously because of his work,、um, he actually talks with a lot of these companies directly, and so he's able to provide a lot of insight into、uh, you know why companies are going IPO in a, in a bear market,、uh, but then also is specifically you know how the market's been reacting and some of the background behind、uh, some of some of the fundraisings. That's exactly right, John.、Um- Yeah, at the beginning you said almost weekly podcast. Is that what we are now? An almost weekly podcast? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you just gotta, you know, f- reflect reality. And the reality is, is that we don't always post every week, unfortunately. It's really tough, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we've been going for quite some time now,、uh, and、uh, I think we've kept with it. I'm, I'm proud that we have kept with the podcast for so long,、um, but it is tough to do it every week. I agree. Exactly, exactly, and I, and I, and I think you know、um, our listeners have been fairly fairly forgiving.、Um, we still get a lot of a lot of really good feedback,、um, and and to be honest, I mean now we're kind of ga- navel gazing a little bit, but also I think the way that we've structured the the podcast has worked out really well because it, it's not always timely. Uh, but it's always very topical, and so I've I've gotten feedback from some listeners who you know use us as as a way to do research, and so you know when they listen isn't so important. I think you know the the important thing is is that we have this information out there for them. Sure, yeah, and、uh, today so it's our second time to have、uh, Shy on the podcast. Right, he it was quite a when, when did we last have him, John? It was quite a while back, right? It was a while back, yeah, before the Xiaomi IPO. Mm, yeah, and back then we were also covering、uh, market dynamics.、Uh, you know, that's what the information I think is good at—the、um, sort of blend of、uh, technology and finance, business analyst, business analyzing them as businesses rather.、Um, and yeah, the IPO market's been exceptionally busy for Chinese tech this year.、Uh, there's lots to talk about. We cover what's it, Meituan. We cover a little bit about bike sharing. We look at.、Um, Forthcoming IP potential forthcoming IPOs with、uh, with ByteDance with Amp Financial.、Uh, we look at Tencent Music.、Um, what else did we cover?、Uh, Pinduoduo as well.、Uh, we talk a little bit about Xiaomi.、Uh, we touched upon、um, Neo, the、uh, the electric vehicle company,、um, and in general, I mean, it was just a really great kind of wide sweeping、um, um, discussion about you know these companies that have. Uh, gone, gone public.、Mm, yeah, definitely. So, let, without further ado,、uh, let's shall we get into it? All right. Well, Shai, thanks so much for taking the time again to、uh, to join us this week. So,、um, so we had you on、uh, previously, and you know we don't want to you know rehash some of the information that、uh, that you gave us about yourself. And so, if listeners do want、um, to have more information about you and kind of what you do and 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 some some of your background, they can listen to that episode.、Uh, but of course, we do、uh, want an update because、um, it's been you know、uh, six 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 or eight months since we last、uh, spoke. Um, you know, I know the information is growing,、um, and you guys are doing a lot more events and things like that. So, why don't you give us an update? Yeah. So, actually, today is a 
in, in the U.S., it's our fifth anniversary for the information. Uh, we actually celebrated it here uh, yesterday, the, the December 4th. And uh, we're really excited. We just announced the hire of, a, of another reporter. We're, we're opening a Washington, D.C. bureau. So we're going to be uh, expanding our coverage into policy in D.C. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's great. And I'm up to four reporters here in Hong Kong. Uh, we had a subscriber summit in November where we featured some of the top. Uh, we sort of focused on uh, bringing women to the stage. And we had an amazing lineup of uh, top venture capitalists, uh, Annabelle Long from uh, Bertelsmann. She's, got, she's been investing for about a decade, uh, the billion dollars uh, that she's put in, including some of the top performers like uh, Kwai Show. Um, sorry, uh, that's Ruby and Ruby Lou, who uh, was a co-founder of DCM, now launching her own uh, shop, uh, as well as we had General Atlantic's head of TMT. We had uh, the head of marketing for Uber Eats, which is really interesting. And we also had uh, some really interesting entrepreneurs on stage as well. So we've been doing well, and we're looking to maybe do some more events uh, in Hong Kong around cyber, cryptocurrencies, my, my, uh, which will, uh, um, it's even though the market, as, as, the, as the market's tanking, probably makes it an even more fertile and interesting time to be writing about it. Uh, and yeah, so we've been, we've been having fun, we've been doing some good stories. Uh, you know, I, I know we're doing well because people are annoyed by us, so... <laughs> <laughs> we must be doing something right. I especially like it when people are annoyed by us, but then they keep talking to us. That, that means that at least we're being fair when, when we write our stories. So that's always a good sign up. Uh, so, yeah, I know it's an interesting time to be, to be doing this. And we're, we're, I think, getting some good traction out here in Asia with, with this team that I have uh, going. Cool. And so you should subscribe. You should always subscribe the information. Ah, 50th anniversary promotion. Subscribe now. You get amazing deals. Ah, subscribe. Theinformation.com. Just have to do my speech. 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 All right. Thanks. Sorry for that. Nice. So yeah. As lo- so as, as long as as long as there's a, there's there's a deal, that's that that's what really drives the drives those conversions. Um, so so I'm just kind of curious. And so we want to talk about IPOs, but you just mentioned Uber Eats, and and I've been seeing a lot of ads uh, for Uber Eats in my in my YouTube feed, and I'm just wondering, you know, are they are they doing well in Hong Kong? Uh, they're doing okay in Hong Kong. Uh, Hong Kong is not uh, the most amazing. Uh, Hong Kong is a very competitive market for for uh, the food delivery. Um, the places they're doing well would be Australia and other parts of Southeast Asia. They're doing pretty well in India, um, and what's inter- and, and they're making a push in Japan. And what's interesting about Uber Eats is it gives them a presence in markets where they don't have uh, the ride-hailing services, and so they can plant the flag in countries. Uh, and it's kind of, I mean, they can it, it can be a profitable business, especially in places like Australia where they already have. The existing driver base, where it's really uh, drivers who, when they're in downtime, can pick up and drop off food. But in places like Hong Kong, you have to have a separate, you know, guys on motorcycles, sort of, sort of like what you see in China with the people delivering Meituan or, or, or um, Ulama. Um, but it's actually a pretty solid business uh, globally for them, um, which I was surprised to hear. I expected it to be just a loss leader, um, but they they seem to be pretty excited about it. Um, and, uh, yeah, they expect a lot more uh, growth, particularly in India, they said. Um, exponentially is what they say in India. And that, that's uh, an interesting thing because India, you don't think of like, I mean, you think of mega cities clogged with traffic. And if you saw the movie, you know, they have the whole Tiffin delivery system in um, sort of these homegrown uh, network of guys who deliver. Uh, so wives will cook food for their husbands at work, and there's this network of guys who will deliver the food from home to the office. But 
yeah, I guess as as things change in India, you know, emerging middle class and all that, uh, there's more of a commercial food delivery business, and Uber is able to tap into that, which I was surprised that they were able to get a toehold in that kind of market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like China. It's kind of like China in that sense. I mean, the the delivery market's already uh, it's 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 maturing, right? Yeah, but they, I mean, you know, the, C, the Uber CEO said so they think that the Uber Eats will be as big as the ride business. So it's oh, it's wow. yeah, and and that's that says a lot. Um, you know, and again, it's also like it's customer acquisition. I, I get you on the food that you do, you know, and eventually I, I might be able to get you on the rides, um, whether the, the hurdle is regulatory or just sort of building out the system. Um, for some reason, I think it's, th- th- there are much fewer hurdles when it comes to delivering a hamburger than there is to delivering a person. Plus, there's no existing, you know, almost every city has an entrenched interest in the taxi fleet, the local taxi fleet. And, and those are often highly regulated, have close ties to the government or the mafia. Food delivery, because it's new for everybody, is less of an entrenched interest that local governments want to protect, right? It's not like, you know, I don't, I don't think that, like, Shanghai government's like, oh, we must be close with Meituan, right? Like, whatever, right? It's not the way the taxi fleet is. Not seen as a socially crucial business. It, that, I guess that leads nicely into, like, uh, we could talk about the first IPO, um, from this year, which would be Meituan, right? Like uh, they they IPO'd very recently. They had their their first earnings call, uh, what like a, a week ago or, or something like that. Um, how how has that gone in your mind um, for for Meituan? And uh, what's been the reception? You know, what what's been that ride of them going from uh, through that process? So you know. Uh... They raised uh, over $4 billion, which ain't bad. Um, and now what they can do is they can borrow money much more cheaply um, for the continued fight. Um, that's the thing that people, you know, there's sort of a, they, like, like right now, I'm just looking at their share price, right? Year to date. Okay, so they're, they're below their IPO price, right? They IPO'd at uh, 72 Hong Kong dollars. They're trading now at uh, quite quite sharply down. It's 53. Um, so it sucks if you're a last investor and, you're, and your ratchet clause wasn't good, so maybe your, your investment is underwater. Uh, but you probably have a long holding period anyway, so you'll, 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 you'll hold on to it for a while. But there's a couple of things. So this, to, to, take in, to keep into account, so one is that now... Um, the next time Meituan wants to raise money, it's it's a much easier process because it's not a private company. As a, as, a, as a listed company, banks are much more comfortable because they your finances are publicly audited. You're you're held accountable to the SEC. There are consequences if you lie, um, so they can very easily raise borrow money offshore from you know a much broader array of banks who are, are who are, and 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 and. Borrowing money is always cheaper than selling equity, right? If you're if you're a private company, the way you raise money is you keep having to sell pieces of yourself to get cash, and that's kind of an expensive process, right? Like you're literally cutting off your arm to to grow, uh, whereas just borrowing money is a lot easier. And banks are just generally more comfortable lending to listed companies because of the transparency there. And the banks, while they care about your share price. They're going to, because maybe you do some sort of, you know, you can use your share prices as collateral or whatever, but they also will look at the health of the company. And, and you know, the revenue is there, right? Meituan does have cash flow. It has losses, but it has cash flow. And so there's, the, that will allow them to kind of perhaps 
the thinking is it's a more sustainable way to keep getting cash for this fight that they're that they're engaged in, you know, for market share versus Olama. Um, so I think that even though it, it looks like on one level, oh my gosh, you know, they're below the IPO price. Yeah, well, you know, that's what you know. Share prices are 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 um, aren't static, right? There's a chance that it'll move back up uh, if they reduce their their losses. And also in this case, the loss, like profit. Always remember, like profit is the one thing that you can fudge the most. It's the one thing that you can kind of control, especially in these business models where it's like heavily dependent on subsidizing. If they need to goose the numbers, they can reduce the number of subsidies or discounts or whatever else that they offer, and it can be like, oh, look, we're profitable. You can have a higher profit margin relatively easily. It might mean that you have uh, a smaller market share, or it might have you know some other consequences. But the profits are the are sort of to me the most variable, the most mushy number in in companies because it's you know is it is it is it is your operating profit is the whole company profitable like you know like you could look at is their core food delivery profitable versus you know they have this expensive uh, uh, the the bike sharing the bike riding business I think is a, is a, is a big money pit um, which they can spin off or whatever right they and and also some of the some of the losses are. The result of how they accounted certain um, uh, stock incentives as well. So I'd still look at them. You know, they listed right, so people got an exit, which is also a, in in one ways a very positive sign. And it's trading down, but I would still think of this as you know, yeah, sure. You know, if you're a short-term trader, this this is terrible. But I think if you believe long-term in the health of the company, this is the, a better option. It's a better route for them in the long term. It's more sustainable. But that, I mean, I feel like that 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 can be said about all, uh, almost all the IPOs that we've seen from China this year. Um, you know, Xiaomi hasn't done very well. Pinduoduo hasn't done very well. Um, you know, so I guess, and that that's kind of like the the overarching topic that we wanted to touch upon was, you know, so what really kind of kicked this off? Uh, it's it it what really kind of kicked off the uh, the IPO frenzy, if you want to call it that, uh, was uh, China literature that was that was earlier this year. Uh, and then we've seen uh, Tencent companies after Tencent companies um, go public after that. And then, of course, culminating most recently with um, Tencent Music filing uh, just just the other day in in New York. Um, but that's kind of like the, the 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 big question. So obviously, you know, for for longer term investors, maybe it's not so big of a deal. But you know, you know, tech IPOs they're they're usually worth a lot of money. And if if you want to really maximize the amount of cash you're able to raise uh, as uh, as a company or or you know the, the the size of the exit as as an investor, you know, um, like is isn't isn't going public in a, in a bear market not a great idea? Yeah, uh, it's not the best idea. But there's two things. The process for an IPO takes six months, uh, at least. It's not something you can do at the turn of a dime. And a lot of companies, I actually was talking to, the, to the, uh, a company that's in the process of, of preparing the IPO, and I asked them that question. They said, well, look, you know, this train left the station six months ago, and it's very hard to stop it. And in some ways, it's worth worse to say, okay, we're not going to go in the market. It's actually more... Um, damaging to the potentially damaging to the company to, to, to not IPO because then everybody loses confidence um, and then you face uh, the, the, the prospect of a, of, a, of a down round perhaps which is also very can be very demoralizing so part of it is just like companies started the process when the markets were just looking pretty good it's it's just kind of hard to turn that boat around at this late stage of the game 
The other thing is that you, this is a bear market, but there are a lot of indications that it's going to be a much worse market in the next coming months, right? The trade war isn't going away, right? It's either it's up one day, it's down the next. No one knows what's going on with Trump and Xi Jinping. It's just a mess, right? So that, that uncertainty is going to continue for a long time. Plus, there are other indications of like tightening in China, right? Credit's getting harder, although there might be another stimulus, but no one knows really what's going on with that. And overall, tech is no longer the hot flavor, right, in the U.S. either. And so, you know, that window is almost closed at this point, I think. So people are thinking, all right, well, it's better. We can still get a solid exit. It's better than like a disastrous no exit, right? Because um, also there's like a lot of people, you're still getting cash out, right? And, and you're still, you have to also kind of reward your employees and all that. So there still is some upside, even if the market performance after the IPO it might be a more modest one. But I think people are sort of thinking like, we better do it now because the next opportunity is just, there's just no clarity, right? You don't know, like this is, this has been like a 10 year bull run, right? It's got to end. It looks like it's ending now. We don't know how long the bear run's going to be for. So it looks like we're, at least we're catching, we're catching it in, in, on the way down, but not in the valley. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that, that, um, I mean, so, so a lot of it, it sounds like it's kind of about momentum and, and so, uh, there's a lot of psychology involved in terms of when, when's the best time and, uh, not, not deciding not to pull the trigger could, could cause uh, other problems. But at the same time, you know, you have, um, you know, like, like, uh, Lei Jun, for example, you know, he had to make public, he, he, he's, he's a very public person, but, uh, you know, he was, he was being very clear with, with his staff, um, saying that this is, that the, the bear market has nothing to do with the company, um, that, you know, it's all about in the share price. It's, it's all about the, the markets and like the company is, is worth a lot of money and so on and so on. But so, so for like a company like, like Xiaomi, who's, you know, eking out, you know, these, these, these really small margins, I mean, did, do you think like their lackluster IPO affected their business at all? Or is it, um, kind of like, kind of like what, what, what you were saying? It's just that, that it's just, uh, you know, it's the best time to do it. And it's not, it's not really kind of in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. So <sighs> Xiaomi, you know, is a weird one, right? Cause it like, they say that they're they're a smartphone company that told everybody that don't look at our major source of revenue. We're actually an internet company, and the market said, "Well, well no, you're not. <laughs> you're a smartphone company." And and then it turns out they actually did pretty well in, in some of the numbers, right? They're, they 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 um, uh, they had uh, really good sales of smartphones, so they should just focus on that. And I think also, you know, the initial numbers of a hundred billion valuation that the bankers were floating around it's unclear i've heard both people say that it was what, what Lei jun was wanting a hundred billion dollar valuation um also the bankers you know the bigger the ipo the bigger everybody's commission is so there was a lot of incentive to to inflate the number back then and so plus they had this extra kick in the shins because they were going to do this uh domestic uh, offering at the same time uh, into that pilot project to bring uh, ch overseas Chinese companies or overseas listed Chinese companies back into domestic markets. And that fell apart. You know, there was just a lot of factors for Xiaomi that a lot of headwinds, right? Plus the overall sentiment was changing. So I think, but that contributed to their particular problems contributed to the overall sentiment as well, right? So like, well, look at Xiaomi. You, you, you can't explain it sort of cast a shadow on, on the subsequent IPOs. That said, though, every company is different, right? Like Xiaomi smartphones is different from a Meituan services, right? 
um, is different from a Pindod. Well, Pindod was in the same bucket, but then if you look at like the the, the peer lenders, right? The they're a disaster, right? And that's just like because they're square in the crosshairs of the regulatory uh, of the Chinese regulators, right? Um, and they also shot themselves in the foot a lot with how they how they uh, presented themselves. Um, I think also just to go back to Xiaomi for a second, I, I felt that the messaging was really muddled. Um, it was just very confusing um, what they were trying to tell investors, uh, and, and that contributed to it. Um, but does that share price impact their performance? Not as far as I've heard, because they're not. It's not like you know. It's not like in China when you had somebody like a La Echo, where the founder. Uh, borrowed a zillion dollars on uh, uh, using his shares as collateral, and then when the share price turned down, you know the founder there was a margin call and everything collapses. Um, uh, that doesn't seem to, you know that 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 you just really can't do that in the offshore markets. Plus, um, these companies are structured in a way where the founders still retain control, even though they're listed, right? Because of the tool, dual class uh, share structures that were allowed in Hong Kong and the ones that exist already in the U.S. So I don't think these companies are in any danger of like an activist shareholder coming in and uh, you know seizing a position that forces out the management or anything like that. I mean, what you've mentioned there about the the timing really makes a lot of sense. I, mean, I just wanted to draw attention to like the the Tencent Music one because for them they actually uh, delayed uh, the date, right? They they put the thing on hold and then uh, didn't give any indication of when they were actually gonna file properly, and now they've just filed. So, like, what what was the why did they stall that? Uh, if you could just elaborate upon the points you've already given, like what. Was was that risky for them to do in terms of you know doing something like that? And it, I don't think we saw too many others just suddenly say that you know pause it and then and then change the date with, without with very very short notice like that. I honestly don't have an inside track on that on the Tencent IPO. Um, it is unusual to um, kind of last minute. Uh, hold off and you know they're coming in at a half of what they initially hoped to raise I guess they were targeting 2 billion and they went up with 1 billion Um, but I don't think they you know the other thing is that the, 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 the fact that it was put on hold was kind of never confirmed by the company so who knows what internally was going on um, there could be a million other reasons um I think, though, I'm trying to think, looking back, they had, you know, they actually had some, it could, yeah, I I, I just want to, I don't understand that. I don't know how, um, how traders will react or if they care that there was a delay, um, frankly, right? Because for them, it's kind of, there's a million reasons why you can postpone something, um, and I think also there was, they want, I think, some distance between their share offering and what's going on with Tencent, the parent company, because th- they kind of got, you know, there was all this bad news coming out of Ali and Tencent. Um, and so maybe they just wanted a little bit of a breather between that so people can digest that news separately. Um, so it's unclear to me what was going on there. I do think, though, that now is actually a much better time to do it because there's sort of a glimmer of hope in the trade war. 
and so you might have a more firm uh, sentiment. But yeah, I, I just don't have enough clarity to, to or insight into that particular one. I do, th I do think it's an interesting IPO though, because you know they can point to Spotify, and while their margins are nowhere near uh, Spotify, because they charge obviously for the Chinese market much less, you know their addressable market is huge, um, and they have you know their their funnel is WeChat, right? So that's a whatever billion potential clients or customers. Um, so it's still, you know, it's still a billion dollars. Raising a billion dollars is fine. And again, like they now, once they've gone to market, they can now raise debt very easily. Um, so I, I think it's kind of, I mean, yeah, that's, sorry, sorry to give you such a muddled answer. Yeah, I think it's, it is an interesting idea. You're right. Like the, it's profitable, right? So like it does get compared to Spotify, but uh, user user acquisition costs are much lower due to WeChat, right? And then, um, but the the paying ratios are still really low, whereas Spotify does really really good on like getting their users to convert. Um, but Chinese won't pay for music, most people still today, um, and, and so that's why entertainment is, is is so much more important for them, live stream and things like that. But um, yeah, it's one of the few. It's one of the few IPOs that's you know like clearly profitable, even though it's not. Um, you know, it's it's still uh, like as you said, compared to the global market, still still fairly early days for for online music as as a business in um, in the mainland. Yeah, no, and they claim what eight hundred million monthly active users, which is kind of insane. The other interesting thing is that Spotify owns about nine percent of Tencent Music. Um, which points to some interesting, uh, I mean, I mean uh, synergies in the future. Um, uh, but the delay and then decision to move ahead, I don't know if that thinks if that if that that means they think um, things are just going to get worse. It was funny. So in in the in the boom days, uh, you know, when everybody was getting these insane private market valuations, it always felt like the public market was the market for suckers. You know, it was like you you uh, you you do these private rounds where each round is like 10x the previous round and 15x or 1,000x or whatever, and then we're going to pick some insane number for our valuation to IPO because well the public markets they're just fools, right? It's just that was the feeling you had from both entrepreneurs and from private market investors that like they were the smart money. And the institutional investors who are playing the stock market, well, they just read a spreadsheet. They're just the dumb money. So we'll just whatever, right? We'll show them amazing growth and dump these turkeys on them, exit, and all will be good. Um, but it turns out that the public markets are filled with pretty savvy, sometimes savvy investors who are like, no, these are turkeys. <laughs> you know, we don't buy it. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know. I, just, I feel like there was... Part of the reason why all these stocks are coming down is that maybe the suckers were the private markets. Maybe they were the ones who were overpaying uh, for these companies, and they should have been much more aggressive in demanding like more reasonably. Like it seemed like, you know, you got the feeling that sometimes these valuations were just like an, an entrepreneur would pull a number out of a hat and be like, "Oh yeah, uh, we're worth uh, you know five billion dollars." Oh, okay, sure, right? Because there was so much frenzy. There's such a, because the, the funny thing is, is the private markets are tiny, a tiny number of investors, really, especially in China. There's like a handful, about 10 top tier VC, right? 
And there's this real herd mentality people complain about. I've heard other investors complain about. There's like a herd mentality and there's a fear of missing out. And so if there's, and, and there's a feeling that like, well, there's a lot of junk out there and the ones that are good, we all need to pile in. And so you're willing to pay any price to pile into the one that's going to get, that, that you think is the winner, right? And there's certain brand names that if they're attached to a project, attract a lot of capital, right? And so I can easily see what happened was that like, we're, really, we're not looking at like, companies coming down or being undervalued, but companies being properly valued, right? So that what, what it really what we're looking at here is a correction from the insanity of the private markets. Once they list, you know, there's a whole bunch of much more, there's a much broader pool of investors who all are running giant pension funds and hedge funds, and they, they're not playing with their money. This is serious money. These are very sharp people who have to like pay, you know, they have real clients and, and obligations. And, um, you know, they're not going to be, they're just not going to buy it. Um, I, I, there was a lot of also private wealth that was involved in the private market. So like family offices were coming in at late stage growth capital, I think. And I don't know the percentage, but I think some of that was very sophisticated family offices and some of it was less sophisticated. There was a lot of syndication of like these late stage, um, these big rounds at the end. And you could see where there's a lot of incentives for everybody to like pump up the value. There was a lot of, there wasn't a lot of incentive for people to say, hold on, hold on. Maybe we're not a $45 billion company. Maybe we're really a $30 billion or a $15 billion company. There was no, nobody, when you're doing these private rounds, who's there to say like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, wait, 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 wait. Um, but then when it comes to the public markets, it's much less like there's you could suddenly be shorted right like there's there's much more of a give and take um so maybe that's what happens we're actually just seeing the results of like this is what happens when you have um too hot of a private equity market and it's suddenly colliding with the re cold reality of the public markets i mean do you, do you think that's part of that's um, a function of just more information being available uh, about China. Um, like I remember uh, years ago, I used to listen to some investment podcasts and they would uh, talk about some some Chinese stocks, but it was always kind of like, they were always a bit wary. And and, and to be honest, they never really seemed uh, like, you know, very too well informed. Um, so it could, have, it could have, of course, just been been those those personalities specifically. Um, but I'm kind of curious, I mean, because like, you know, you look at Pinduoduo, for example, and, you know, they, they filed, they went public, and that's when everyone piled on about the counterfeits and about the problems on, on, on the platform. Um, and so, you know, it, it seems like that's, that's part of that's, you know, colliding with reality, as you put it. Um, but then also, I mean, I, I have to wonder, you know, why wasn't that information kind of made more public beforehand? Um, and, and how much of that was, was a function of just there being more information about Chinese companies and kind of maybe even people being able to source information uh, much, much easier than, than maybe, let's say, you know, five, ten years Oof. ago? Um, I don't know. So, you know, in the case of, like, you know, there, there's another famous large company that still has problems with fakes, and that doesn't seem to slow them down much, right? Um, Alibaba, right? Um, the Alibaba IPO was also, there was definitely, like, the same issues and investors honestly don't give a hoot about your fakes right they're like well as long as you're selling stuff it's fine right they're not right? there's not a lot of ethics <laughs> and i mean that's not true i don't want to be too harsh but it, it there are other pl e-commerce platforms that have struggled with the question of fakes and and 
I don't think that's really Pindodo's issue here. I think Pindodo's issue is more about like, is their form of this quote unquote, like this ton, ton, it's kind of like group, it's sort of a group on in a sense. And people, I think what their problem is that people looked at and said like, well, wait a second, aren't you just kind of like Groupon and didn't Groupon like struggle? Like, how are you going to reinvent Groupon in a way that will survive against Alibaba? I think that's more the concern they face. The fact that they have fakes on the platform, I don't think is an issue. I think, I, I know for a fact that competitors were feeding that story um, for sure. Um, there, there were some legitimate issues there. Like there was the guy, I love the story, like the, the diaper maker. There's the Chinese domestic brand of diapers um, who's filed a lawsuit in the U.S. because uh, Pinodo was, was abetting, the, he alleged was abetting the sale of, of knockoffs. And I love that story because it's Chinese copying Chinese goods, which shows you the rise of the Chinese brand, which is a whole other story that I'm fascinated by. But be that as it may, I don't think that's really what, what their issue was. Their issue was like, the business model, like, okay, because they talked a lot about, you know, oh, well, the reason we're able to sell so cheaply is we do factory direct. But then what percentage of it is really factory direct? What percentage of it is actually from other merchants trying to offload goods for cheaply? And then this this whole question of like, well, are you, aren't you just in essence group buying? And isn't group buying kind of like a struggling model, right? Like, you know, they, they argue that they're not, that they have all these other innovations and they're super smart, et cetera. But I think that's their problem, not not the fakes. Now, as, term, as far as information goes, yeah, there's definitely more information. Um, I mean, what you file in an IPO, though, should be, should be the same. Um, there, I think it's more, yeah, uh, more information. Uh, yeah, you know, thanks to outfits like us, the information people are, or, you know, you guys, there, there's definitely more journalists running around than more, you know, research houses. Um, but also the caliber of the companies that are listing now and the size of the listings are astronomical, right, compared to a decade ago, right? A decade ago, China Tech, you know, there was the previous generation, right, of when Tencent listed and, and, and um, gosh, I don't remember what year Tencent listed. Uh, but Alibaba only listed, you know, in, the, in, the, in recent history. And the companies that have been listing in the past, you know, two years are enormous, right? These, these sorts of, the, the reason they have so much scrutiny is because they're coming in at these insane, they're huge, right? There just wasn't a Meituan. And, and you think about it, like, so it's not just like, oh, there's only Meituan, there's a Meituan, there's a Pinduoduo, which is coming in huge, right? Like, all of these companies are just so enormous that, of course, they're going to attract much more scrutiny because there's just, they're much more important, right? Like, the reason they're, like we we gauge their value by the dollar sign we put on them and we think they're really valuable broadly speaking right you know even though they're down once they ipo they're still pretty valuable even though even after they've come down so that's why they attract so much more scrutiny they they are worth that scrutiny so to speak yeah it makes total sense um and you have to remember like back before even there was a whole bunch of chinese companies like doing reverse mergers right uh, on a recent plane, there's a, there's a good movie about it, the uh, the China Hustle. I watched it on a plane journey like about a week ago. 
um, where you know there, there was a whole wave of Chinese of, of Chinese companies that that did uh, reverse mergers in the states, and, um, and 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 a lot of them were just com- completely you know completely not not fake companies, but just uh, lying about their numbers uh, outright, um, and and due to the way of committing financial fraud with, with very little consequence, so. Um, we, you know, there's a history there of, uh, well, of, of uh, you know, um, suspicion about Chinese companies. I think that have, yeah, that but those, listed. I mean, so those were dogs. Those were like those stank from a million miles away. It was so hilarious. Like, I mean, like the guys promoting them were sketchballs. There was a whole ecosystem of like, you know, I remember somebody pitched me on this on on these companies, and I was like. As a journalist, I'm like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to write about this because it's just like, you're sketchy. The company you're talking about is sketchy. It's like, meet me at the China Club on Ping An Da Dao. And there's like some random tall Russian lady with us. And I'm like, what? Not Ping An Da Dao, Chang An you know, the Chang whatever, whatever the Chang Club is, I remember. You know, and there's like me with this Chinese stock or, or a Chinese investment banker who I look at, you know, has like a sketchy history. And there's like this statuesque Russian blonde, and I'm like, who I have no idea what she's here in this room for, other than as like a prop of some sort. I'm like, you are. So I don't understand why anybody put money in those, because it's like my sketchballometer was like, you know, red alert, red. It was just weird, right? And also like the businesses that were listing, it's like, oh, we, you know, we sell French fries. Like none of them, like, yeah, it was kind of right. You got to be kidding. And, and a company like Meituan, like, you can go and count the number of people on bikes riding around delivering Meituan food, right? Like, there's something there, right? You may, you may argue that, like, their margins are in the pooper, or you may say that, like, the way they're acquiring customers is a disaster, and, you know, they're going to be in the red. But there's a business there, right? Like, you can see the business. It's a real business. You can gauge it, right? You can argue how much maybe they're inflating it in some way, but it's on the margins, right? Like you can say, oh, it's not sustainable or they make some strategic mistakes, but there, there is a there there, right? The same is true for DD, right? Like there's a ton of people who use it. You know this for a fact, right? Like there is some revenue where you could argue, are their margins uh, going to collapse or are they going to be regulated into out of existence? Sure, but there is, again, a there there. And so much of the stuff that was doing these reverse mergers just by virtue of the fact that, like, everybody was doing it already should have been a red alert. Like, why are a bunch of companies doing something that, by its nature, avoids scrutiny, right? When you do a reverse merger, your regulatory obligations are much lower than if you do an IPO. An IPO is saying to the SEC and to investors, hi, take a look, you know, here's, I'm going to open my kimono, stick your flashlight inside and, you know, do, do your, do, 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 do your, Sorry, I'm trying not to be scatological. You know, examine me very closely. Um, whereas a reverse merger kind of signals to the to, to, to the markets like, it's easier for me to take over somebody else who's dying and inject my assets into it than to actually subject subject myself to the scrutiny of an IPO. Sure, I think it leads into the point you're making earlier about like the dumb money, right? So uh, uh, for bringing up there, like the sort of extreme case of, of American stock markets kind of, uh, you know, being being the dumb money, as it were. So it depends. So okay, like a lot of those a lot of those reverse mergers are, are onto pink slips anyway, which is just like whatever. Like you you want to play that market? That's a high risk market, fine. But then it's like there's dumb money and there's like I'm I think I'm clever, right? There's like 
okay, I know this is a dog. I think this happens a lot in financial markets more broadly. They're like, everybody knows it's a dog. But they know that everybody, and everybody knows that everybody knows it's a dog. But it's like, you just don't want to be the last person holding the dog. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, this is a hot stock. I know it's a turd. So you, it's a game of hot potato. You just don't want to be the, la the person holding the, you know what I mean? Like, so they'll, just, they'll buy it, hold it for whatever, and then sell it on, right? So it, that's the thing is like, you don't want, if the stock is rising, you don't care what the underlying is for a lot of people, right? The underlying doesn't matter. What matters is the stock price is going up. So screw it. Yeah, is this, is this, is this you know, to actually fight a rising share price is, is expensive. You got to short a stock. Shorting a stock costs you money. You got to borrow somebody's shares. And then if the share price keeps going up and you're short, it's going to cost you more to hold that, to maintain that short position. And eventually, you know, even if the whole market is wrong and you're right, but the share price is still going up, you can be screwed, right? So it's, it's much more risky to go against the market sometime, right? Even though, you know, I mean, that happens a lot where like, you know, everybody's like, I, uh, this company doesn't count, like whatever. But like, you know what, I'm going to, I think there's, a, there's somebody dumber than me who's going to buy these shares a week from now. This sounds a lot like the herd mentality you just described of VCs though. Well, yeah, I mean, that can happen, right? But they're smart. If you, if you, if you're moving in and out quickly enough, you can catch it, right? And that's also why, like, once the stock goes down, it's hard for it, like, the sentiment can return. But I think it, it's, again, there are broader, broader factors at play that, like, all tech right now is kind of off flavor, right? It's not, it's not, is risk, you know, no one's, no one's, tech in general now is kind of not a popular investment. Um, I think the, the IPO market, though there was really this feeling that the, the dumb money was in the public markets um, and they just weren't there this time. Yeah, and I do sound like I contradict myself. You know, Walt Whitman, right? I, I contain multitudes. Um, <laughs> but, um, so, but, but like you can be smart and know that you're playing a game, right? That's my point. Uh, with Mei Tuan, like, I think there's an interesting thing, like, so with, they, obviously they, they assumed uh, Mobike, right? So for the first time we have like public numbers, kind of public numbers about Mobike or any, any kind of major bike share uh, or, uh, or bike rental company. Uh, they kind of hid it, merged it together in an others section. But it's quite clear that like this, this thing is, is losing a lot of money. Um, and so that, that's a kind of a dynamic uh, of what you're just describing about all the VCs piling in, not really being a sustainable business model. Um, I think that the, the, the Mobike, uh, the bike sharing is, is a great example of that. Um, and now we've seen that, you know, that finally one of them has kind of semi gone public. Um, and then there's, there's also a lot of, I think for May Twain, that's one of the key questions, right? It's like, there's, well, there's two key questions, maybe one is like, what happens to bike sharing and what happens to ride sharing? Cause it's quite clear that, that those guys, that those two models, those two areas are, are, are not doing so well. And then, uh, the other one is like, how do you fight Alibaba when they've got much deeper pockets than you? Uh, so the point on the bike sharing is really interesting and I'm trying to figure it out now because it seems that there was just 
value destruction on epic scale, right? I'm really, at the end of this, it'd be interesting to tally up the amount of money that was wasted on this, on what kind of looks like actually can be a viable business, right? It, again, like there were, there was real revenue. There were real, there was a real business in this. And it just went nuts, right? Like the, the, like these bicycle graveyards, right? Like this is just insane waste. And what surprises me is you're, it, it's like, you know, if people talk about like your capital efficiency, like that doesn't look very capital efficient, right? That's just like an insane waste of money to make bikes that are essentially disposable. Um, and the venture capitalists were happy to keep funding this insane business model. And I, early on, I spoke to some people, uh, one investor who had, she'd, she'd looked at uh, either, made, either a Mobike or Ofa, I forget which, and they had actually, um, her, the team had put uh, GPS trackers on the bikes surreptitiously uh, in uh, a couple of cities to actually track how often they were used. And they'd calculated the number of rides per day per bike you would need to be to break, you know, to make the money back on the bike. And they found that, like, these bikes just weren't being utilized at all. Uh, in, or at the level that they needed to make to, to make this a viable business. And plus also they found, they sort of figured out like what would be the saturation number of bikes per city and just saw that this was quickly not going to be, not going to be working. And so they, they'd stepped aside and then, but for like a year or so they looked like they made the wrong choice. Right. And, and now they look smart because they didn't waste their, 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 um, their investors capital. Um, but that said, I kind of wonder, like, you know, what, again, so what, with Meituan, there is a business logic behind buying the bike sharing fleet in that you can kind of see there's some synergy, perhaps if the bikes are then used for the delivery guys, maybe, but I don't know. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of weird to go in and buy this. And, and then at, at a quite a high price, mind you, uh, and then start doing the cutbacks once you're public. It's sort of like, you know, I, I, that, that there's some hard questions to be asked about like, well, what, were the, what was motivating the decision to buy it in the first place? Why was the price the price it was? You know, and did they make a mistake? Um, and then the question then is, you know, so you have Ofo kind of lingering around. You have... Mobike, Ali can't, you know, Ali, Ali is effectively represented by Hello Bike, uh, which is growing as well. But then can, can Ali now in this environment start throwing money at it? I mean, it could be that, you know, there are viable, there's room for more than one bike sharing company, you know, in China. It's a big place. Um, and maybe it's just like, okay, we did this insane period. We're going to consolidate, rationalize. And then we'll have sustainable businesses. Uh, I mean, that's one, that's one option. I mean, I, I, but I think that there was this just crazy exuberance. Um, and part of it was also driven by the bike sharing, the bike rental companies. They're not really shared bikes. They're rented bikes. Um, part of the enthusiasm that investors had about them was that they were a way to acquire customers 
without having to pay a tax to Baidu or Alibaba or Tencent, right? And so in a sense, it was like, well, our customer acquisition costs are pretty low, <laughs> relatively speaking. And so that's why they were willing to make disposable bikes. But I think that's, you know, obviously that hasn't worked out quite the way anyone, anyone had hoped. Um, so kind of kind of getting back to 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 more more of the uh, the the IPOs and, and and things like that. There's so there's two companies that really kind of stand out uh, in terms of why why now uh, and that and that's uh, uh, Neo uh, so Xiao Neo the electric uh, bike company and then Neo the electric car company. Um, and so rumor on the street was that Neo in particular, they went public because they were not able to get any more private funding, or perhaps they, if they were to get private funding, they would have to do a down round. Uh, and so because of that, they chose, um, they chose uh, a public listing in, instead. I mean, do you, do you give much credit to, to, you know, this, this, this type of theory, or, um, uh, is there something else kind of going on with, with, with these, these, these two companies? Um, uh... So Xiaonio, I don't know very well. Um, I actually would think, broadly speaking, now is a great time to be a scooter maker going public because you stand a chance of competing against us uh, because there's a boom in the U.S., right? All these scooter companies and, you, you know, if you become a supplier and, and the whole model of bike rental turning into bike scooter rental um, could, you know, that looks like it's a real, it has some legs that unexpectedly legs, unexpected legs and in, a, in a market where it's a richer market than in the sense that the, you know, your margins are probably going to be better doing this in, in, in uh, the U.S. than in China. Well, right? well to, to be, to be clear. So they're, 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 when I say scooter, I actually, I mean like electric bike, they're like electric, like, you know, what, what we used to call scooters. So look, they look kind of like uh, like a Vespa or a, yeah, or no, a, I know, okay. I know, but there's sort of, there's a lot of overlap, right? right. There's because the this the this the US style scooter is going to move to the Vespa style as well right there's sort of i think they i think they're there's those things can feed into each other there's they're not quite a strict separation between the two um neo i know a little bit better um and again let's just look at their share price uh, uh they ipo at what 9 9 and now they're at 7 Interestingly, they didn't, you know, they just lost their, who was it, their chairwoman or um, CEO, I believe. Um, I don't know what to say about the rumors that they couldn't, you know, they would have to do a down round because if that's the case, you know, those rumors, it wasn't just the journalists who were hearing about it. It was everybody was hearing about it. And so, you know, they would know that. I think especially, again, like, there, there's an advantage to going public, especially if you're involved in something like you're a car company, because it's also sort of signaling to a lot of people like we are willing to withstand. It's like brand building as well. This is what one of the guys was telling me at a, at a different company. It's like, why are you going to IPO? You know, you're probably going to trade below. It's like, no, this is a great brand building exercise as well. Like it shows that like you can trust us. Like we might we might trade down, but like we're going to be held accountable. You know, our numbers are going to be open. Like we're here to, you know, like it's sort of you taking a stand. Uh, and so for a car company in particular, there's a lot of symbolic value to do that, right? Neo wants to be around for a while. Um, they want to be, you know, playing against Tesla and all that. So, so um, I think that they're, 
you know, it, it, the down round rumors, yeah, I just don't know what to make of them because, as I said, like, it's not as if only, you know, only you and I had heard them, right? Like, everybody would have heard them. Um, and I think that they're, they're interesting because it's, they're actually giving themselves a hard time, right? Like, because they're trying to sell these cars in China and China is always such a weird market and one day you have subsidies, the next day you don't. Um, you know, you're, you're also fighting against not just, I mean, Tesla doesn't matter so much in China because it's, it, they're always going to have some kind of homegrown advantage as a Chinese company, but you're up against as well the Chinese domestic automakers, which aren't going to sit by, sit idly by and wait for some upstart to, to take over their markets. Um, the other thing that's happening, which is, is that overall China car sales are plummeting. Um, just the bright spot is that within that though, electric vehicles are still pretty strong. So I think that their, their decision to list in the U S had a lot to do with signaling to, you know, not just, there's another thing is that as a, as a car company, you, you, who are you, you're signaling to your, to your bankers, you're signaling to your investors, you're also signaling to all your supply chain. Like, look, you know, we're good. You can still, you know, we're not going to skimp you on, you know what I mean? Like you, if I turn to you and I say, I want to make, you know, will you sell me a, a 20 million, whatever, uh, they don't need catalytic converters, but whatever it is, tires or windshields or, or seats that, you know, I'm trustworthy. Don't sell to my competitor because you don't really know what's going on with him. He may not be good for the bill because he's private. For all you know, he's going to fold tomorrow and disappear. It might be another charity future. Right, right. You know, whereas I'm listed, so I'm, look at me, I'm here. Here's my books. You can take a look. This is my cash flow. You can look on it. It's, it's online, right? And so... As a car company, there's a lot of advantages to having that. You know, even if your share, like your 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 supply chain, your suppliers, you know, they'll be concerned if your stock is you know going to zero. But if it's you know any given day, they won't care, right? But they will care that oh, I can see you have cash flow. Okay, it's been audited, right? So there's pretty high reliability that you actually were going to be able to pay me. So okay. I will reserve X amount of my production capacity for your product, right? And that's another thing. When you're building a product, you have to, like, part of it is selling it, but part of it is also convincing manufacturers, the other guys, to give you, to sell to you, right? And to make you a priority so that, like, oh, crap, we're actually selling better than we need. Can you give me extra hubcaps? And they say, sure, you know, I'll make my other client hold weight while I supply it to you first. So uh, I think that's another reason for... For, for a company like that to, to go public. And it's interesting as well, because right, they've got that, the venture capital arm on the side um, who are making some interesting plays. And they're also there, you can see like, I had I a talk with the head of the, the VC firm, Neo Capital, and their whole play was that like, they want to make uh, a national network of uh, electric batteries, swaps stations, kind of like a better life, right? That old, that old business that collapsed, where you buy a car, and then you sort of lease the battery or whatever, some kind of like the, the, the value of the car is in the car and the battery is a separate thing. And then you drive and then just like instead of going to a gas station, you go to a battery station, you swap with a battery. And they think, the Neo Capital guys think that like, okay, 
is a great analogy. So like when you buy a car, you don't prepay for five years worth of gasoline. But effectively, when you're buying an electric car, you're because so much of the value of the car is in the battery, you're effectively prepaying for whatever, five, 10 years worth of energy for your car. So why don't we strip that part out and you will effectively pay for energy over the long term. When every time you go in and you swap out the battery, you pay a, f a small fee, whatever the fee might be, whatever the cost will be. Uh, and that's an interesting model. So I think NEO, who knows? I don't know, you know, long term what's going to go on, but I think there's interesting stuff going on there. And I think, that, again, like, you know, the short-term volatility of the share price in this market is to be expected. Um, but I think they have, there's so much signaling that they achieve with that IPO that still will benefit them in the long run. Yeah, I think that's the final question that we have to we have to cover, right? Which is um, looking forward now, 2019. Um, are we going to see? Well, I think there's two really big names, uh, which is Amp Financial and ByteDance. Are we going to see them IPO? And um, if not, why not? So I, I think it's unlikely that Ant Financial will IPO. Um, uh, it's there's so much regulatory murk overhanging them. Um, I think it's so complicated, um, and and what are their what's their pri what's their last valuation was like one hundred and fifty or one hundred thirty billion, some in insane number, right? I think I think uh, it's one fifty. I remember correctly, but yeah, it's in that region. Right. right. So, so they have to IPO at two hundred billion at least, if not, you know, to make everybody happy. You want two x on the last round, so three hundred billion dollars. Uh, you know, just let's just take a quick look at what is HSBC market cap. I'm just curious. Um, you know, just like a mega bank. Uh, hold on, while while I call up this number. Okay, no, uh, HSBC's market cap is one hundred seventy billion. Okay, uh, so they would have to be twice as big as HSBC. Let's take a look at Citibank. Um, uh, Citigroup, right? Uh, Citigroup is trade is at 150 billion, so they're twice as they have to be twice as valuable as Citibank. They have to be worth as much as Citibank and HSBC combined. Uh, huh? <laughs> so that's an interesting way to think of it. Um, I, I think that there's so much, you know, and financials at that. Off, it's, it's at this place where it's too big to fail right now, right? Because it's essentially built infrastructure. It's now, it's now a financial infrastructure company, right? Uh, in, and, and you know how the Chinese government feels about infrastructure. It's a national security issue, right? You know, bridges, roads, highways, telecoms. And now they have built a national pipeline for money to flow around. And they're going to regulate that to the micro, the micron, right? Like that is so crucial now to the functioning of the economy that it has to be super, super closely regulated and super, super closely controlled, right? Because, I mean, you can't, like one of the most, one of the most powerful levers that the Chinese government has to exert control over the economy, and by the way, like it's clear that this environment is much more, it's, it's, it's not a free market environment, right? There's definitely a clamp down and a tightening of the reins and more of like putting the state first and it's just sort of the pendulum has swung, right? And so, you know, Ant grew at a time where things were getting looser, but now things are definitely getting tighter. And one of the key levers of control over the economy 
has been the banks, right? The big four, because that's how you control lending, right? And through interest rates and even just telling the banks, you will lend to these kinds of projects. And so you can't suddenly allow this mega entity to have sprung up in private hands alongside that you can't control, that can like undo uh, all of your financial policies. So for example, like the peer-to-peer lending platforms that just exploded and were abetted by how easy it was to move money through these new digital uh, uh, payment systems, whether it's WePay or Alipay, right? A lot of the transactions were flowing through, a lot of the transactions into P2P platforms were flowing through these Alipay and TenPay. Uh, and it was a disaster, right? Initially, it's like, okay, this aligns with our policy because it's helping fund uh, small and medium enterprises that were shut out of the traditional banks. But then it turned out to be just a giant fraud. And now there's this massive cleanup campaign, right? But it's all retroactive. Like it happened before regulars even knew what was going on, right? And suddenly you have these like massive, was it $9 billion Ponzi schemes that explode overnight because there's this, this frictionless movement of cash through these new systems that have arised. So I think... That's going to make, you know, yeah, okay. Now, that said, the four major banks, the four state-owned banks in China are, in fact, listed. But they're listed in a very, you know, I think a very minority, whatever. I think the, the float as a percentage of overall shares, I think, is quite small, relatively speaking. But they're still substantial. So I think that is a potential thing that could happen. The other thing is that, like, when you go to list this thing, the due diligence you're going to have to do to figure out, like, what are the regulatory risks, it just seems like it's it's such a... I don't know. I, I think I think 2019 is not the year for for Ant to go to go public. The other thing is that like their and their global expansion plans, you know, the U.S. is just off the table, right? Like they're they're that's just not going to happen. They 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 won't be able to expand into the U.S. Europe now is looking more and more sketchy because of sort of this paranoia about China, whether it's legitimate or unfounded. It's still just like. For them to start moving into the into Europe is, is going to be more and more challenging. Uh, Southeast Asia, sure, you know, Paytm is doing really well in India, but even there, like now they're going to be up against you know um, Google's uh, uh, Google's payments platform there. Uh, Amazon is probably going to you know it's going in there as well. So I don't know. I don't think I don't think Ant is going to be their story now is one of uncertainty, and I think it's a hard sell. Um, ByteDance, I think, will probably list because they, they, they're, to me, they're a momentum play. And they've got crazy momentum right now, right? Like TikTok, oh my God, it's growing so fast. I think that it, all it is is a momentum play and soon that momentum will peak. And then it like, so they better list sooner rather than later. And I think people will pile into it because it's like, oh, look, it's, you know. And to be, to be frank, though, I've heard good things about ByteDance, although I, even though I'm, I'm, I think that Anything that's viral, I think, oh, MySpace, I remember that company well. Um, especially one that doesn't have a social aspect of like a Facebook, like where you're not really vested in, 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 its, in its continued existence, right? Like I, I'm vested in Facebook because all my baby photos are on Facebook and that's how I show my mom my baby photos. I'm not vested in YouTube, right? YouTube could vanish tomorrow for all I care and I'll just look otherwise, other, someplace else for the videos. I think that's the, that's the, that's the weakness in something like a bite dance or a TikTok. Um, that said, what's interesting, what I've heard about ByteDance that's really compelling is that, first of all, their advertising revenue is real. It's real money. Uh, it's in the billions of dollars. It's growing strong. And the reason it's growing strong is because advertisers are happy giving their money to ByteDance because they found that the return on investment, like the number of clicks they get, the number of sales they make for putting an ad 
into a ByteDance platform is much better than they would get into other platforms. Now, I don't know if that's true. That's certainly true in China where, okay, you're up against what? Tencent, which is kind of like the WeChat moments has kind of not been fully utilized to its full potential. You know, Baidu, which whatever, right? Um, I don't know if that same efficacy of advertising would be viable, would still be true if they're competing against Facebook in, in, in Southeast Asia or in India or in the US. But within China, though, ByteDance seems to be like a really, like advertisers love it because they're making more money on their ads in ByteDance. So I, st I think that they still have a good story to tell, um, a great story, right? And if, can you imagine if they launch another Blockbuster app? What's also interesting is that ByteDance has shown that they can, that their, their addiction algorithm works overseas too, which is really interesting. Um, they, I think, in, in terms of like, they're the first Chinese company to have done that on, with, a, with, a, with a cultural product. Uh, you know, Huawei, sure, Huawei is, is truly a Chinese international brand, right, through its phones and infrastructure, Xiaomi to some extent as well. But, you know, when you look at how, like, other kind of social networks or cultural products, whether it's film or something like a WeChat, haven't succeeded... Uh, it's really interesting that Douyin has figured out how to sell its, it's figured out like the deep DNA for culture addictiveness, you know, in, in India, they're doing decently, uh, they're showing real growth. So I think that's, that's, what's compelling about them. Yeah, I mean, for uh, for ByteDance, I, uh, I agree. The the advertisement on the newsfeed is is compelling, uh, full screen video. Uh, so I can see why it would get better results. Uh, interesting what you said about the revenue. Uh, I've done my own calculations. I think their model is very similar to Facebook, and um, that yeah, it certainly can be very profitable. I mean, it's it's a newsfeed model, right? So it's it's uh, it's really like getting the new user in the door or. or on a very low cost and then like feeding them ads um, over time. It, it's really, really, really similar. Um, but uh, yeah, and I, I don't see them, I think for them, you're right, they've got a lot of momentum right now. So for them, the question is, can they break the US market, which they're in the, trying to do right now? And if they, if they can, then uh, their valuation is going to be uh, even larger than it is right now, significantly more so. So for me, I think the, the question is, can ByteDance actually do that as a Chinese company, right? Um, I, I think their product's compelling, um, and the algorithms, as you say, like are are culture agnostic, sorry, culture ne culturally neutral, I guess you could say. Um, the product works in, in all different kinds of markets because it's, um, you know, short video is is a compelling user experience and, and nobody's doing it well outside China right now. Yeah, I think for them, for me, the biggest risk is regulatory because you're in China, you're, you live or die by the Communist Party, right? Like, because they're, Unlike commerce, communications, propaganda, that's core party function. That's one of the things that the party thinks it needs to control in order to maintain its control, right? Or it's, it's you know, it's, it's like this is how it communicates to the masses, right? This is like one of the things that builds the Communist Party. And, you know, they are always skirting on the edge. There's that fine line between interesting and illegal, <laughs> or interesting and banned. 
and I don't know that at some point, you know, like the Communist Party or the whatever, the cybersecurity regulators say like, ah, we think you're, you're too fancy or you're, you know, just like what they did with video games. Like, oh, these are, these are video games are now um, a corrupting influence on the youth. Boom, you're toast, you're toast, right? You can see how damaging regulatory, right, the impact on Tencent. Like the government's like, oh, games, they don't think they really uphold the spirit of the Communist Party. Kaboom, right? And so you've got a company, like at least Tencent, it's got other stuff, right? Okay, so we're losing revenue on the games where we have other, you know, we have our social network, we have this, we have that, we can turn pivot to businesses, ByteDance, oof, right? Um, so on the one hand, it's like, oh, they'll be worth so much more if they break into the U.S. market. Also, they really need to break into the U.S. market to diversify their regulatory risk. Sure. And also, they, they need to take on Facebook, right? They, they, uh, the, the only company, the, the biggest risk for ByteDance internationally is, is Facebook cloning them as, you know, doing a Snapchat. Exactly. Um, but, uh, but Shai, so um, I think that's about all the time we have. But uh, as always, thank you so much. And if people want to find you online, where, where can they do that? Uh, I'm at Shai, S-H-A-I at theinformation.com. Uh, our website is theinformation.com. Uh, we're getting, it's harder and harder to read us. We're subscription only. Um, so if you want to read us, you got to subscribe. But now fifth year anniversary is a great time to be a, a new subscriber. We've got lots of good introductory offers. And uh, if you hit me up personally, I can maybe hook you up with an even better deal. Um, but definitely, I think uh, our coverage is really, uh, if you want to understand Silicon Valley, if you want to understand tech, increasingly, if you want to understand Hollywood, and soon, if you want to understand what's going on in DC, policy tech, you got to be reading the information. Um, I'm, I'm so proud to be part of this team of psychotic workaholics. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, again, shy, S-H-A-I, at theinformation.com. I'm also on Twitter, uh, at Beijing Scribe. Because uh, I used to be in Beijing when I launched my Twitter account uh, 10 years ago. Uh, yes, I'm in fact old. Um, I'm also on WeChat, uh, Signal, Telegram, Fax, Smoke Signal, Stone Carvings, and uh, Reiki. And that's about all the time we have for this episode of China Tech Talk. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a review on iTunes, or you can go to Overcast or Pocket Cast and tap on that star button, and it will recommend this episode to your network. Also, we are on Shimalaya and uh, Spotify, so you can find us there if you haven't already. And also a quick reminder, Technode, we do uh, several newsletters every single day, including a curated summary of technology news in China, including some of the stuff from us, and a thrice-weekly newsletter looking at significant fundings over the last couple of days. You can go to technode.com newsletters to subscribe. <laughs> <laughs>